morning, Pastor Josh is in Israel. I was texting him a little bit earlier. Here's a picture of him. Uh, He's actually looking over the valley where most scholars believe this is where the battle between David and Goliath took place. And so he sent me this picture this morning. Um, I'm really, really jealous. I... You need to take it down because the more I look at it, the more I want to be there. I was there before, and it just it just looks like an incredible, incredible experience. And so, as you know, Pastor Josh is going to be coming back after this in-depth study tour where he's studying the Word of God in its context, in its biblical setting. You know he's going to come back and unload. He's going to have new passion, new fire, and it's going to be amazing. Amen? So get ready for that. But we have a special treat this morning. We have Pastor Don Stubbs with us this morning um, as our guest. He is a friend, a personal friend of Pastor Josh. Um, as many of you know, Off the Wall Ministries, who we partnered with quite a bit, he is affiliated with them. He is a man who is investing so much of his time and his, and his abilities into young people and training them up. Would you stand your feet with me and welcome Don Stubbs as he brings the word of God this morning? Hey, Josh. How you doing, buddy? Thank you. All right. Good morning. Oh, that's awesome. You guys can have a seat. Well, I told Josh I wouldn't blow it. I wouldn't mess up. <laughs> so if you guys don't know me, I am, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. Uh, and I think he is the answer to the world. I believe more than anything else, the world needs to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we need, the world needs to know in a way that they can understand that he loves them. And he didn't just come here to give them a set of rules. He didn't come here to just... Uh, Saved them. He came here to be in relationship with them. And so I just love this. I love coming new places. I miss my church. I love my church. And I don't, I don't often take a lot of time away, but it's good to be here. So I'm going to jump right in. We're going to pray and we're going to get into this. God, you're good. So we say good morning, God the Father. Good morning, God the Son. And good morning, God the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would... Um, meet with us in a way that we have not been met with before. We ask that you would change our hearts and our minds and conform us to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you be um, praised in this place? Would you become greater and make us lesser so that we can declare the praises of our Lord and then walk out of here ready for the battle of the souls of those who do not know you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I've heard you guys are going through Colossians, one of my favorite books. I love it. Um, And I know Corey and Josh, and they probably did a great job, but I don't know what they said. So a little bit of background information. We know why this book is important. We know that Paul wrote it from his first imprisonment uh, in in Rome. And the reason he probably wrote it, uh, there was a guy named... Papyrus, everyone said Epaphras, but it's Papyrus, who met Paul as a runaway slave, got saved, went back, probably started the church at Coloss, and then there was a lot of things going. So he went back to serve Paul as Paul was in prison, and I guarantee you, well, I shouldn't say that, I believe that during this time, he was telling Paul what was happening in Coloss. He was saying, there's a great problem. I'm not sure what to do, Paul. So Paul wrote this great letter. So what was the big problem? Heresy, right? 
We know that. There was a, but it's a major heresy that we're talking about. It is the personhood of Jesus Christ, who he was. Some people call it Christology. I mean, the, is Christ Lord or not? That's a question we have to answer. And that's what they were saying. He's just a man. So I just want to tell you guys this. I'm passionate about this. I do get to travel the country and parts of the world a lot. And this attack on the person of Jesus Christ isn't new. But it is devastating. There's not a more devastating attack in the church. And this is why we are fundamentally different than the Mormons. Who said that Jesus Christ was a man who became God. As we are, Christ was. As Christ is, we shall be. That's not true. We were never like Jesus. And we're never going to be like Jesus. We're going to become more and more like him. But we're never going to be him. He was God who became man. We're man who fallen. We sinned. Christ saved us and brought us into his family. Fundamental difference. Same with Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, our Bible said, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God. They said that Jesus was a God. A fundamental difference. And if you look at every religion, the major difference is who we claim Jesus Christ to be. That is a major difference. We can agree on a million things. But if we disagree on that, we are not the same. We don't believe the same. And we can't be okay with churches that preach that we're the same. We aren't. We are fundamentally different because of Jesus Christ the Lord. And if you look at Colossians, Colossians, the weight of this, Paul writes through this book, it's the loftiest language we have on the person of Jesus Christ. You know, and I'm going to read some of those texts with you, if I can find out where I'm at in my notes. This is my problem, honestly. I am such a spaz, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I get so fast and I lose myself. But I want to read a couple of verses to you. The first thing that Paul warns, and this is just the intro, is don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. That's Colossians 2.8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies on who Jesus is. And we know that Paul in Colossians 2.1, he hadn't been there. He said, many of you, you guys never see me. He, he had not been to this church. And that's why there's such a personal invitation at the beginning and at the close of it. It's an amazing book. I think it's his most heartfelt letter because he loved Papyrus. We know that I may have said he was a... No, let's just go on. And then he says this. He, Paul presents Christ in such an awesome way. In Colossians 1.15, he says he is a visible image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you want to see God, the Father, look at the Son, the incarnate God, the God who put on flesh. So he added humanity to his deity. 
He didn't become a God. He was God. The second person of Godhead who said, Dad, I'll go down there and I'll save them. I'm going to put on. And why would he put on humanity? Because the reality, the Bible said the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? So he had to pay the penalty and the currency that was required. So he had to become man so that he could save us. So that's what he did. And Paul, throughout this whole book, highly exalts the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because that was an attack. And so we get this rich theology with this personal, heartfelt, like, guys, this has to stop. Don't let people take you captive by these things. You guys, I get to travel a lot. And I'm telling you, the attack hasn't changed. Now, this is the most vile of all attacks, that Jesus Christ was not God. And if, you're, if we're not careful, we will let it creep in. Now, I know Josh won't, so you guys are in good hands. But I tell you, it's creeping in everywhere, along with so many other heresies, and we'll talk about those. So Paul gets right to the point. Let's jump in. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. He says this. After all of that, after telling them everything about Christ, after warning them, he gives us some really basic simplicity. I call it simplicity on the far side of complexity. He said, because of all these things, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Paul, that I may pray that I may proclaim this message as clear as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everything. So if you want to real simplicity, here it is. He said, because of these great attacks and all that, we have to become people who pray. Devote yourself to prayer. So there's three key characteristics of effective prayer life. One, devotion. This means to persist in something, to busy oneself with something, to stand in something, to be committed to something. This is a time when we have to slow down and say, Lord, this fight is so real. This fight for the, the souls of people, for the glory of God, for the praise of Jesus is so real. We've got to be devoted to praying. So I don't know about you guys. I don't know you guys well. But if I was at the branch, I would be saying, listen, family. <laughs> God has brought us into his family to be warriors, to fight for the souls of what I would call the walking dead people who live around me every day. I would tell people that devotion is under attack in every areas of our lives and especially in the areas of our prayer life. Ask yourself right now, 
How devoted are you to prayer? That you busy yourself in it. That you are steadfast in it. That you realize that there is no weapon that's fashioned against him shall prosper by invoking the name of Jesus Christ, calling upon God that you can do things that you cannot do in human strength alone. How many of you believe that it depends on the hand of God to move, to defeat the spiritual darkness that we fight every single day? And it depends on the hand of God to work in such a way that this attack on the deity of Jesus Christ and his personhood is going to be swallowed up in the victory of of, how should I say that to you guys? In the victory of his coming. Are we devoted to prayer? And then he says, in the in, New Living Translation, it said alert. In almost every other translation, it said watchfulness. So here's the idea. I love this so much. You guys ever fall, get in a deep sleep? And all of a sudden just be real, like shaking, and all of a sudden you're aroused and you're awake? That's what he's thinking here. We should be aroused and awakened. I love this verse. To be devoted to prayer. To be watchful in it. Are you guys watchful in prayer? Are you alert in it? Do you understand what's going on? Has God given you spiritual eyes so you know how to pray? God, show me what I should be praying for. God, teach me who I should be praying for. God, show me the attacks that might be coming against authentic church and the people here. Show me what the enemy wants to do against my family. Show me where we're slipping into heresy. God, show me. Make me watchful, God, in this. Make me watchful. And he said, be watchful. I know one thing. I watch men all the time. I'm one of them. Watch football games. And they don't miss a, miss a thing. I guarantee you. How many of you guys have ever seen parents at their kids' football games or soccer games or anything? And let a rough make one bad call. They're watchful. I guarantee you. They're alert. What are you talking about? What is Can't you see? We are so watchful about the things that are important to us. So he said, are you watchful in prayer? Paul, why is that important? Because the name and the person of Jesus Christ is constantly under attack. Everywhere we look. So he said, watchful. And then he adds something that is unique. Thankfulness, right? Paul, that doesn't seem to fit the recipe here. I get being devoted. I get being alert and watchful. Why do I need to be thankful? Because thankfulness reminds you of the faithfulness of the God who you are praying to. When you're thankful, when you start to think about all that he has done, all the battles he has brought you through, all the victories he has given you. When you're thankful, it makes your heart more receptive and your ears more open, your eyes clearer to what God has for you. How many of you guys say, I'm a thankful prayer? See, 
Devotion and watchfulness are best served in an attitude of thankfulness. When we're thankful, our devotion goes up. Our alertness goes up. We become more committed. We become more vigilant. We become more diligent because we have so much to be thankful for. When's the last time you just went home, got in your closet or in your car or wherever, and just start thanking God for all that he has done? When's the last time we've done that? And I was on my knees earlier. Um, I think it's, I don't know, you guys call it the dream team. They were just having a time for them worshiping. I just got on my knees and I said, God, I got to preach some message. And sometimes I'm not thankful. Sometimes I'm not, God. But thankfulness is a because it's a key to be being devoted and watchful in prayer to be thankful and then Paul moves on he said yeah I want you guys to honestly be praying devote yourself to prayer but then he said and there is a way that you should pray for me I love Paul he said, I want you to pray that doors will be open. When's the last time we prayed that the doors would be open for the gospel of Jesus Christ in New Philadelphia, Ohio? That God would come in and open doors for the gospel so that lives would be changed and souls would be saved. And the landscape of eternity would change because you prayed that God would open doors. See, one thing I remember as a little kid, my mom would always say, oh, always pray for everyone you see. I said, well, that's stupid. (laughs) I don't even like them. I don't even know. Why am I praying for them? She would always say, Don, you got to pray for people. I said, okay, I don't know why. But then as I started my journey in faith, I realized, My mom knew the condition of the world and the condition of most people that they are lost without hope. That they are on a direct path to an eternity separated from God. But there is an answer. His name is Jesus Christ the Lord. And it comes through the gospel. For the Bible said, for the gospel of the power of God unto salvation to whoever believed, to the Jews first and also agree. It's a power of God unto salvation. Paul said, pray that a door would be open so that people may know the mystery of Jesus Christ. What's the mystery? That God became man, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, Defeated the powers of the grave in death, rose victoriously, ascended to be seated at the right hand of God with the promise that he is coming back for us. He said, I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come and claim you as my very own. The mystery of the gospel is that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus Christ died for us. That's the mystery of it. You know why they call it a mystery? Because people didn't know that until the revelation of the New Testament. 
They didn't understand the fullness of that. And it was a mystery. He said, pray that these people who don't know about Jesus, the mystery of Christ would be open. They would see, they would understand, they would know. You guys, we've got to care about the gospel. We've got to care about all our neighbors and all our friends in New Philadelphia, Dover, wherever you're from. We've got to care that they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And we have to pray that the door will be open, that they will respond in such a way that they would be saved. We can never be content with just having a nice little comfortable church. Christ didn't die for the church. He, came, die, he died for souls. He came to establish the church so that we can continue the work of the gospel. So that's really the heart of my sermon. <laughs> but then he says something really cool. He said, be careful how you live towards other people, outsiders. People you don't really know. Like when my mom would say, Don, pray for them. He gives us two really key things. It's a conduct to be wise to be wise to be towards them. To be wise to be because conduct and be can look and look later. Because conduct be God can look later. Because conduct I treat them. When I belittle them, I was telling my church, it's not my church. Christ's church, I get the pastor. What would happen if someone came in who were an openly transgender couple? How would you treat them? How would you look at them? If they sat down, would you move? Would it be the whispers? I've seen it. I heard of her story. It's an awesome story. I don't even know how much time I have. So, Josh or Caleb. Will you make sure that I'm not over my time? But I heard this great story that there was a young man who walked in a southern church that was a conservative church, and he was a homeless guy, young, stringy hair, all nasty. There was nowhere to sit. The church was packed, and so he just sat in the middle of the aisle, Indian style, and sat there. And then there's an old elder start making his way up, and everyone said, yes, he's going to get him. He's going to make sure he gets out. And he sat, and he got down, and he got on his knees, and he put his arm around the young man. See, that's conduct worthy of the gospel. That's why Paul said, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let your conduct be in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your speech be worthy of the gospel because it opens up the hearts of people who desperately need a Savior. And it also transforms us to have the mind of Christ, seeing everyone as valuable and worthful, regardless of their lifestyle. Let me tell you a truth, guys. We don't need to condemn people. The gospel, the word of God does great condemning in a way that is worthy. You know, Christ says in John, right? For I come not to condemn the world, but to save it. The Bible said you're already condemned. We don't have to condemn it, the world. We have to let the world know that there's an answer to the condemnation under which they are under. His name is Jesus. 
That's why the Bible said God was pleased to pour out all his wrath on him so that we might be saved. The condemnation that God poured out at the cross was so that we no longer have to be under condemnation. So our conduct in our speech should be wise. It doesn't mean, it does not mean that we give in to the falsity of the world and the lies of the world. And it doesn't mean that we all of a sudden are weak in our presentation of God's word. It does mean there is a conduct in a, in a way to speak that is wise and godly that does the work of reaching people's hearts. So he says all that. And those are the first six verses. The rest of the book is really cool. I call it Paul's Friends. <laughs> He's so cool. So I'm going to have to read all these names that I never pronounce well. But here's what he says. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother, a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I've also, I'm also sending Onesimus. We know that he was a slave. A faithful, beloved brother, one of your very own. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that happens here. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greeting. And so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one who is called Justice, also sends his greeting. These are the only Jews, Jewish, Jewish believers among my company, my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been to me. Papyrus, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends you his greeting. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greeting, and so did Didymus. Please give my greeting to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha in the church that meets in her house. So why would Paul give us all these names? I love the names, by the way. I have the worst name in the world, Donald. I hate it. Like I almost would want any other way. I would want any other name than Donald. It's the worst name. Of all the creative names in the world, my parents give me the name Donald. Don't understand. How cool would it be to be Tychicus or Aristarchus? Yeah, those would be cool names, not Donald. But anyway. Paul gives us these lists of names, and I think he wants us to know this, that faithful men and women matter. They matter. That this journey we're on, we need to have faithful men and women who are walking with us. He said, they've been a comfort to me. And you think of the name, think of actually like uh, there was Onesimus, who was a slave, Tychicus, who was, seemed to be a faithful person with Paul, always running, it seemed 
Epaphras was a fellow worker who came to know the Lord through Paul's ministry, now a minister. We have Luke, the doctor, who would write two of the greatest books in the Bible. Right? The Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. I love how he writes, don't you? In my first letter, Theophilus, I wrote to you concerning all the things that Jesus Christ had done. And I want to continue that story. You have all these people. And, we say, and then you have Barnabas. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You know that they had a falling out? Over Mark, Barnabas and Paul separated. And so the reason I bring that up, I think it's a very important lesson. Here's the lesson. I think as Paul fell in love with God, grace softened him. And that person who failed him, he started to see something more than just a failed young man. He saw a young man who really loved Christ, even though he made a great mistake, and he welcomed him back. And I say that for this reason, guys. That is a conduct of wisdom and and of grace and of mercy. And that's why he said, let your conduct be in a way that is wise. His conduct towards a young man earlier may not have been wise. And I'm, I'm stretching not the truth. I'm giving you a picture of my perspective of what I think happened with John, Mark, and Barnabas, and Paul. They had a falling out, and Barnabas stayed with this young man, and Paul sent him away. And I think after a while, the grace of God softened Paul, and he saw the usefulness of a young man, and he welcomed him back. And so Paul doesn't just tell us what to do. He actually shows us what to do. He said there's a conduct in which we ought to operate towards outsiders, but I also believe towards one another. How about Jesus, who is called Justice? How would you like to have that name? What's your name, Jesus? But they call me Justice because I don't want you to get me confused with Jesus. We know nothing except his name. And he's mentioned as a comforter to Paul. I love that. <clears throat> bondservant. Some people believe that Papyrus made himself a bondservant to Paul. He actually became a slave to him for the work of the gospel. Dynamis, we don't really know anything other than that he was there. We don't know a lot about these guys other than that they were a comfort to Paul in his ministry. And I'm sure they pray. I love Epaphras, so he prays hard for you. When's the last time you prayed hard for the leadership of this church? Hard. You ever think about that? What does it look like to pray hard? You know, I remember in the garden when Jesus prayed, he prayed so hard that physically he sweated blood. You know, that's a, a medical condition that can happen. So you guys, I don't, like I said, you don't know me. I don't know you that well. I'm pretty intense when it comes to Jesus Christ. Because I think way too many people live way too casual lives for the Lord. And I don't know you that well. But I'll tell you this. He is worthy of a life 
sold out and radically lived for him. I believe that. I believe the world is waiting for God's people to live a life that is radically sold out for him. And Paul gives us a list of men and women who were doing that. And because of these men and women, Paul's ministry continues to flourish. We always think, Paul, there's not going to be any problem. Here's the truth, and I probably need to be done. One minute, 30 seconds. Here's the truth. Sometimes we forget that those who are in ministry need people to walk with them. And Paul reminds us there, you're important. We can't do this without you. This is a hard fight. And we need your prayers. We need you more than you know. Because the enemy isn't going to stop. He would want to tear Josh down. He would want to tear Caleb down. He would want to destroy everything they're doing here. And we need you to pray hard. It said, Papyrus prayed hard for those at Colossus because he understood the attack they were under. He understood that people were trying to draw them away from Jesus. And he prayed hard. So much so, he went back to his mentor and said, I don't know what to do. This attack. I need your help, Paul. I'm just a young Christian. And I need you. So I want you to know, if you don't take anything else away from this, be devoted to prayer. Be watchful in it. With thanksgiving, pray hard for one another. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Treat strangers and those we do not know with wisdom and with grace so that the gospel of Jesus Christ may be manifested in such a way that those who do not know him will call him Lord. God, we love you. And we thank you for being a God who is worthy. God, there's no cool things I can say. Paul gives us one command, one imperative, how to pray. And then he gives us a list of people who were faithful with him in his ministry. God, I pray that could be us today, that we would be people who learn how to pray. And that we would be faithful. That we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. God, I pray that we would value you, Lord Jesus, above all. And that you, God, that you, God, would become our everything. That we wouldn't just go to church, but that we would actually be it. That we would know the truth. And we would believe that there is no weapon that is fashioned against you that shall prosper. And God, we would have an earnest desire that a door would be open for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that many may come to know you. God, we ask, we beg, we plead with you, God, to renew us and strengthen us for the battle we'll face. And God, may we always exalt the name of Jesus above every name. For 
for your word says that the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thanks for saving us. Thanks for redeeming us. Thanks for loving us. When we had nothing, God, you gave everything. And maybe we give everything back to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.